This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1. This is the evolution of intimacy with Ella Shannon. A show about sex, relationships and everything in between. You can start to feel bliss while you're vacuuming. I don't know if I've tried that or not. Do I want to try it? What is it? Very complex, very interesting. Clogging, whipping, caning. So there I was in my high heels and my little dress. So it is purely a stigma. Healthy sexual expression with other humans. I went to the local women's health centre and went, I think I'm a lesbian, is there a support group? They don't know quite how to talk about it. It's actually a core skill in relationships. That has always worked for me. My guest today is Madalena, a clinical psychologist specialising in the area of sexuality. Her doctorate was on female sexual difficulties and as well as her busy private practice, she's a lecturer at Edith Cowan and Curtin University for their counselling and psychotherapy courses. Welcome, Madalena. It's such a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you very much, Ella. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm really curious to hear a little bit about what are some of the common presentations that uh, women come in with uh, in terms of sexual difficulties that you see in your practice? Mm. Okay, so the the sort of, I mean, it, it's actually very diverse. Um, most of the typical ones will be things like, uh, for example, either sexual discrepancies. So in other words, uh, she wants, he doesn't, or he doesn't, you know, he wants, he doesn't. So the discrepancies in sexual desires is still quite common. Low sexual desire for women, although um, I see a lot of men with low sexual desire as well. Things like, for example, there's been an increase in genital pain disorders, infidelity or extra relationship, you know, other relationships which either haven't been disclosed uh, or may have been. So I tend to sort of see individuals and I do couples work as well. So, yeah, that's mainly what I tend to see. I would love to just hear a little bit more about some of those, if that's okay. So I think Mm. you started with um, desire discrepancy or couples might come in and say we've got differences of libido. So what are some approaches that might help couples or or individuals to navigate that Mm. so I think I think the first thing is I'm still quite surprised at the level of myths and erroneous assumptions around sexuality I, I find that there's still many people even younger people that have bought into a model of sexuality that's quite penile vaginal based it's very heteronormative so there's a lot of sort of assumptions around that, and people will come in with a narrative. And I think the first, the first thing I think is to tackle that narrative, is to challenge it. You know, first of all, to find out where it's come from, to find out, I suppose, what that narrative means to the person, because I find that people, they'll hold on to, their, to a narrative very, very strongly if you don't deal with, you know, what it might mean to them. Mm. And then to sort of, I think, slowly deconstruct it so that's one of the that's that would be my first sort of step is to find out how did this model develop um, i still find that the media is a huge contributor 
to constructions of sexuality that are very rigid, yeah. very, very penetrative driven. And that's, a, and that's problematic because for women of all ages, whether, you know, whether they might be anxious about penetration because they feel they're quite tight, whether they're being menopausal and they are quite tight, that sort of penetrative model is one of the things that I find very dominant. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. Both across, you know, with individuals. And I'm not saying that it's only in males. I think that females, or not only females, I think across the whole diversity of um, sexual spectrum, we have bought into a model that's very, very rigid. Yes. So that's, I think, my first step. In the movies, it's very much, you know, they sit, they get a look in their eye, then the clothes are going off and they're, you know, rushing to be sexual. And, yeah. you know, it's just not, it's just not like that when people have been together for, for some time and just, you know, yeah. helping people with those expectations and what does it mean to be sexual? Yeah. Yes. If the Pharrell has done a lot of work around, for example, the idea of spontaneity. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that she says is that, you know, even when we think it was spontaneous, you know, when you sort of met and you felt like you could, you had to rip each other's clothes off, you know, by that time you were planning what sort of clothes you were going to wear. You know, True. there was nothing spontaneous about it. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you knew exactly way, what was going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You planned for it. You know, mm. there was uh, either candles or music or mm. sexy underwear, whatever it might be. So mm. this is why I'm talking about the narrative and the construction of yeah. an, an ideal of of sex rather than the evolution of a sexual relationship the more time we're together you know we evolve in so many other ways as individuals but people tend to hold on to very idealized ideas of sexuality because sexuality is very very much i suppose located in a fantasy imaginative world mm. which gives it of course that incredible power and why it's we talk about, you know, sex makes the world go round because there's a certain, you know, there's an ideal quality. But that, that same ideal quality that magnifies desire can also be a downfall. Yeah. And I think that's problematic in, in um, you know, relationships that want to stay together rather than sort of a single interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you talked a bit about um, pain and, and perhaps the fear of pain um, for people with vulvas and vaginas on penetration. Can I think mm. that's a reason lots of people seek out a sex therapist. Can you yes. share a little bit about um, some of the ways a sexologist might support someone around that type of thing? So, it's you know, it's a very interesting... It feels to me that the manifestation of something like pain is actually quite a complicated and can often be very related to the person's ideas of both self. In other words, am I desirable? Am I loved? Mm. I think that's one of the very big ones. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of being invaded in a way or penetrated by you know, somebody else's organ, as it were, I don't think it's just a genital thing. You know, I think it's mm. a sort of a whole person thing mm. so i think i think it's really important to understand again i come back to this idea of understanding what the fear around the penetration is yes of course there's pain but pain doesn't happen in, is in isolation pain again has a meaning so i think my first step would be firstly to work alongside for example a physiotherapist 
somebody, uh, you know, um, specialized in pelvic floor, vulva. First get an assessment, of course, from a good gynecologist. So check that side first. But then work alongside somebody so that somebody uh, is doing some of the maybe dilation exercises because I think those are very beneficial because that can give the person with a vulva confidence. It can give them a sense of mastery and achievement. As well as then from my side, I'd be looking very much at, again, the depth of the fear from a, mm. a whole person perspective rather than just genital. I don't know that just focusing on the genital is sufficient for some of the uh, presentations that I see. I think that they're very complex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that holistic view of looking at the physical with a gynecologist and then looking yes. at the more psychological with yourself. And you mentioned the dilators. Um, so just for our audience, um, can be a bit of a scary word, but they're yes. trainers. They can be made out of silicon or different materials and it's inserted um, gently and gradually yes. into the vagina by the vulva owner herself so that yes. or themselves so that she can um, slowly start to feel safer of having something there and they come in different sizes absolutely mm. absolutely and and one of the things that I find in having uh, working with a physio is that again it, it does come to a confidence thing as well you mm. know one of the things that I find is that because avoidance is probably our strongest coping mechanism, you know, we, we tend to, and rightly so, we avoid things that are uncomfortable for us. I think one of the things, the impact of avoidance will obviously be an impact on our self-confidence mm. to be able to master something. So working alongside often with somebody like a physio, or if they don't want to, then I will bring, you know, as you said, rightly said, I'll bring that into my therapy room and we'll go through the whole sort of process. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Alice Shannon, a show about sex, relationships and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec. I'm a woman. Like, I have names now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and mm. I was like, oh my God. You may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been <laughs> attracted to myself. <laughs> So they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind-blowing. If the physical aspect is everything's kind of okay there, I'm curious of, um, you know, what some of the psychological aspects might be. I think you mentioned body image and how it affects confidence. I know that if people are anxious, then, of course, everything tightens, including the genitals and the vagina. Yes. So, yes. yeah, how might a sexologist support someone around body image if that's, for example, something that's preventing them from being able to relax? That's a good question. I think, again, uh, it, it feels to me that 
when we have these concerns around, for example, body image, they, they tend to be quite cerebral, sort of very much in the brain. We're very judgmental about ourselves. There's been obviously markers and comparisons in, in our social world or as we grew up, you know, there's conditions around, you know, whether we're worthy or not. So that tends to be quite cerebral. If we can work along with a person to start thinking about and feeling their body from a perspective that's sensation-based more, um, so that it's more pleasurable-based rather than, for example, performance. You know, I have to do it this way because at the end of the day, I have to orgasm because my partner's depending on it or whatever the case might be. So just to try and get the person to maybe, and I think this is where mindfulness has been quite beneficial because it's really just trying to get the person to move away from that very dominant sort of cerebral position to a place of sensation, Mm. right? And start thinking about their body as a sensory, holistic organism rather than just a functional one. Mm. Wonderful advice, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that I think would be one of the things. It's a skill development. You know, yeah. I think it's very busy for people that tend to always resort to being quite cognitive mm. to let go of that position. So it can be time. I, I think it's not as easy as sort of saying, well, here's your homework or here's your exercise yeah. and go off. I think it does take time for people. Mm. And yeah, like yeah. A, you'd have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice you can't do it the first time you try it's something to to practice which hopefully is lots of fun but yeah you can't really you can't think pleasure can you you can only feel it so it makes perfect sense yeah yes that's a lovely yes that's a lovely sentence you can't think pleasure yeah and so is it useful to include partners on this journey of, of working through things like this uh yes i think it is I definitely think it is because I find that a number of people don't really have that much. I mean, some do, but they may not have that much of a problem, for example, self-pleasuring. They yeah. might not they're okay with masturbation. Bringing in the partner, because it's interesting, one of the things that I've experienced or found out as I've practiced is that you may have one sexual difficulty with one partner, but not with another. Hmm. And so it calls into the idea that this is a dyadic yes. pattern or dynamic that's developed. And I think those can be almost the most sort of powerful ones because, you know, it's not just the one person, it's two. And you've got this dyadic space, which is a, almost like a third person in the, in the middle hmm. that has to be, um, in a way, deconstructed. Hmm. So I think it's very helpful. And I think, for example, particularly with pain, I think it's very, uh, very important because there's because a woman's sexual difficulties come from a place of historically from a place where women were seen as you know frigid, as not liking sex, as not being able to you know not being as spontaneous as men, all of those erroneous beliefs. I find it helpful to bring in a partner. Now, it could be, it, I'm not talking about only male partners in this case, but the person's p- partner, because the person who doesn't experience the pain, it's very, very difficult for them to develop proper empathy if they don't have somebody else on the outside supporting the person with pain. Hmm. 
And I think that's really important, mm. right? Because the problem I find is this. Usually, the person with pain, there would have been a development of it, potentially. The person who isn't experiencing pain, their, you know, their ideas about their own desirability, whether they're lovable or not, whether you are also going to be caught up in that dynamic. Yeah. So bringing in a third, like the therapist, in a way, they can hold the position to say, you know, look, both of you are caught up in this, mm. you know, in this dynamic, and it's hard for both of you, uh, you know, if we're looking at it from a couple's perspective. Mm. And I love that then it's not, you know, one person's broken and needs fixing. It's a dynamic no. within the relationship that they can be a team to explore together and to slowly come to a way that they can both feel pleasure and satisfaction and wanted and all those good things. Yes. Mm. Yes, and and often just to add to that, um, the the other really important thing is that often what will have to happen is that their way of having sexual relations needs to change, mm. and they both need to buy into that. Yeah. So, because the problem is they come in with already this sort of oh we used to when we first met but now we don't. Well, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. Right. So you've got to sort of start from a flat base to say okay. This has now occurred. The human brain's an amazing thing and it holds on to everything. So now what we need to do is we need to restart how the two of you are going to re-engage. Mm. So often it means a whole different way of engaging, which doesn't necessarily mean less pleasure, but it does need to be a new way of engaging. Yeah, and uh, exactly as you sort of started our discussion, it's rethinking that what is sex? And no, it's not just penis in vagina or toy in vagina or pen the penetrative part. It's all the wonderful things, you know, that, that are available um, yes. bring a lot of satisfaction. But I think a lot of people, there's only one thing that's sex and that's intercourse and that yes. needs to be perhaps challenged. Yeah, yes. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, so... What if someone was listening and experiencing some of these difficulties? How might they seek help? What would be a first point of call for them? No, Ella, I think it's really important that they find somebody that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of stories, you know, about the first point of help seeking has been, in a way, a closed door. So mm -hmm. I would say if they've got a good relationship with a GP, they should contact a GP and maybe get a referral to. Somebody, for example, like a gynecologist that they want to start that as their first assessment. If they have an idea that they have had physical exams and all is fine, then maybe contacting, say, first a therapist, a therapist that does work around this sort of presentation or sexuality or sexologist, and then from there, come up with a collaborative plan about what's going to work for that mm. particular person. Lovely. Yeah, it can be pretty intimidating to sort of speak up mm. to a professional about this, but that, that's wonderful advice. The other thing is maybe to have, because I find that there's a lot more coming out now around, for example, you know, what we call uh, GPPD, genital pain spectrum. Um, so maybe finding out a little bit more and finding out that this is not some there's so many contributors to, mm. to pain. So we, there's a lot more dialogue around that now, probably a lot more social groups, face, Facebook groups, things like that, 
uh, women's organizations and, mm. and finding out and, and sort of getting, building up your own sort of support in that way by mm. finding out a little bit and then, yeah, and then maybe contacting somebody to start the journey. If yeah, you, lovely. There's yeah. something so reassuring when you realize I'm not broken. This is really yes. common and there's lots yes. of reasons for it and lots of things you can do around it. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. Madalena, if people wanted to have a little bit more look at your work or get in touch with you, how would they do that? I have my website, yeah. uh, which is Women's Sexuality Australia. Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ella. Thank you for the invite. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. You too. You've been listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon. We're feeling juicy the whole day. Every desire I could possibly think of. What sort of impact would it have? They want it, they're going to go and get it. They don't think of long-term consequences. Oh, did that feel really nice? Oh, yes, that felt really delicious. Being able to feel good about my body again, that's been a huge thing. All anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. We actually do have a lot that connects us physically. It's making people feel good. There is a real sense of hopefulness that returns in a relationship. A really beautiful thing. Take that beauty and that calmness and that bliss and that sense of peace out into the world. Thank you for listening and I hope we've inspired you with our juicy conversations on this episode of The Evolution of Intimacy. If you would like to go deeper, you can book a session of relationship counselling, sex therapy or individual counselling via my website. I work in person in Cairns, tropical far north Queensland, or I can meet you online anywhere in the world. Or you might prefer to go at your own pace with my 12-lesson relationship and intimacy online course. To book or to listen to previous episodes, visit my website, ellashannon.com, or follow me on the socials at Evolution of Intimacy. Finally, please go to iTunes and write me a quick review if you're feeling kind. Thank you, lovelies, and see you next time. This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1.